The annual NBA.com general managers poll came out on Tuesday. And if you'd asked me before that, I would have told you that I expected the Thunder to be the top answer as the franchise with the most promising young core in the NBA. I don't think I'd have predicted OKC would get 73% of that vote. If you do that math, or in my case, ask someone to do it for you, that means of the 30 general managers in the NBA, 22 picked the Thunder. That's a lot. But then consider what we saw Monday night at Paycom Center. It was Chet Holmgren's debut, and for one night in one exhibition game at least, the 7-1 rookie exceeded the hype, and he's 21 years old. So is Josh Giddy, the point guard who already ranks among the most exciting passers in the league. And if you're looking around on Twitter, you might have seen the pinpoint pass he fired to Holmgren for a three-pointer in that win against the Spurs. Beautiful, beautiful stuff that didn't get him in the best passers poll uh, in the, in, among the GM's answers. Well, he didn't have his best night on Monday. Second-year wing Jalen Williams had a stirring flurry of plays with a blocked shot sandwiched between two dunks in the first half. He's 22. And the Thunder in that preseason opener rested its best player, first-team All-NBA guard Shea Gildas-Alexander, who's 25. You add in 24-year-old Luke Dort, 20-year-old Usman Jang, 19-year-old Casey Wallace, and so on, and you start to see why so many GMs were swayed. We don't want to dwell too much on preseason games around here. We understand what they are, but Monday was something special, not only for all that young Thunder talent on display, but for the first meeting between Holmgren and Victor Wimanyama, which might really have been the start of something. So today with sellout crowds, Michael Martin, we'll touch on that preseason opener. We'll get a sense of where OKC is headed into its second and third exhibitions over this weekend and look at the GM poll and what it might tell us about this team. I'm Brett Dawson, and this is Heard Thundering. Before we bring in Michael Martin, I want to take a minute to thank the sponsors who support our show, MidFirst Bank, Laser Light Skin Clinic, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Fire Lake Casino, and your Oklahoma Ford dealers. Drive into your best in Oklahoma Ford dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. Michael, after all that, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I, I liked hearing your, your monologue about the young players, which... At 26, I did not anticipate covering my first couple of teams would all be guys younger than me, but here we are. Yeah, 26, I hate you. Thank you for bringing up your age. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I think you probably would have expected, I, I, I'm going to ask you this question, you probably know the answer. I thought about this after the fact. I should have said, don't look at the NBA GM's poll, and we'll go over it, and I'll have you respond to things in the GM's poll. So you probably already know the answer to this question, but do you know who was the number one choice last year for most promising young core in the NBA? Um, I don't know this one for sure. So I looked through the poll in the <laughs> survey. That one I don't remember for sure. I'm going to go with Orlando. It was Cleveland. Cleveland. Yeah, that, that sounds interesting right. to me. And I, I guess... I guess Donovan Mitchell would count in a young core at this point still. Um, but Evan Mobley, uh, it makes some sense. And 41% of the vote, I think that's what's notable there. Um, not the kind of overwhelming majority that the Thunder got. 73% is a ton. As I said, it's 22 out of 30. Actually, the one bit of research I wish I had done on the poll, I don't know if Sam Presti can vote for his own team. My guess is no. Um, and so, you know, that would mean that 22 non-Thunder GMs probably – um, pick the Thunder. Uh, the Cavs were still second um, and the, the Orlando Magic were third. And so like, 
I get it with Cleveland, um, but it's just it's such a landslide. And it, again, it's not particularly surprising. You saw the game on Monday. You saw what I saw. Um, all those guys, you know, Shea didn't even play. So everybody who was really um, the young guys you get excited about are 24 and under pretty much of those guys. Not the whole team, but a lot of those guys who played significant minutes um, and in the, especially the starting lineup, those guys are extremely young. And so I'm not surprised by this, but I'm still a little caught off guard by the margin. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of hype. The Thunder became the darling for a lot of the quote-unquote smart guys who cover the NBA yeah. of League Pass who like Josh Giddy. They like some of the defensive coverages that uh, Mark throws out there. Shea was an underrated player. So I, I can see where it's coming from, but it feels like after the end of the season and then seeing Chet come back, drafting Case and Wallace and into FIBA games where we saw Shea take another leap, I think the hype train is in um, full force going forward. Yeah, I think that's got to be a big part of it, right? You've got a couple of guys in Shea and Josh Giddy who played in FIBA. And so those guys are really fresh in your mind. If you're a GM, you probably watched those games. Maybe not live, um, but you probably got some sense of those games at least. And, and certainly everybody knows that Shea led Canada to a bronze and he beat Team, team USA. Um, and so I think that's a big part of it. And then the other piece of it is definitely Chet, who we're going to talk about some before we move on to some other stuff in the poll. Um, Chet is a huge part of this, right? Because he didn't play last year. He gets that NBA redshirt year that has proven so valuable to people. Blake Griffin is the, the sort of shining example locally for us. Um, you know, somebody who wins rookie of the year after he takes that year off for injury. Um, and Chet had a really good, he had two really good summer leagues. Um, and I think, the, the idea that he's going to plug in and I think a narrative that I think is just, it's not just a narrative. It's a, it's a real thing about this team is he plugs in and plays. He's a plug and play guy for so many of the things they didn't do well last year. We've talked about this a lot. He blocked shots and they didn't really do that. He, uh, you know, alter shots around the rim. He guards all over the floor at his size. Um, he can pick and pop. He can pick and roll. And, you know, Michael, we got to see a little bit of almost all of that uh, on Monday. Yeah, we did. And I'm glad you made that point of him just filling in roles because Chet, if you were just to design a center in a lab for the Thunder, you'd go, I'd want him to be about seven foot, seven foot one, block shots, stretch the floor, uh, be a good decision maker, shoot pass, dribble, um, make quick decisions like all the rest of the Thunder guys. And if you go down that like list of attributes, that's just Chet Holmgren. But he showed off a lot of that last night against Victor Wembanyama for sure. Yeah, I mean, like, we're going to get a little bit more into that game. But, you know, it's funny. I was talking to Sam Vecini from The Athletic for a story I did leading up to that game, more or less writing about the first time those guys played, which was in also a FIBA World Cup event. It was the U19 World Cup a couple of years ago. Um, Team USA won. It was a really highly competitive game. The guy who kind of stole the show a little bit, I didn't really write about this, for, but for people who watched the game, they remember, it was Kenneth Lofton Jr., who's a guy we've seen him kind of use his, his size, his weight, uh, his strength against Chet Holmgren in summer league. We saw him use it against uh, Wimbenyama in that U19 World Cup. Um, so I wrote a little bit about that. But one of the things Sam told me was, you know, if you're the Thunder and you're building a team, similar to what you just said, Michael, there's a bunch of stuff you would circle and say, these are the things we want. This is the checklist. And essentially a guy who, you know, can be a connector on offense and also a scorer, um, a guy who can significantly, and we saw this on Monday, block a shot, or rebound the ball and get it out and start the offense that way, initiate offense, at least get the offense going. Doesn't mean he'll be the point guard ever or point center or whatever, but get the offense going, make the first pass, 
um, that gets an offense started. We saw that happen. Uh, and then a guy who obviously who defends all over the floor, who can switch, uh, who can protect the rim. And essentially what Sam Vecini said was the thing is that those guys are effing impossible to find. Um, and they got that guy. They have that guy, at least on paper, they have that guy. And we started to see on the court uh, Monday, a lot of those things that we talk about. Yeah, it was just very impressive to see uh, him coming off that injury and to play that well. But like you mentioned, this is an entirely unique archetype of player where it's like Anthony Davis, Victor Wembanyama, Chet, Porzingis a few years ago when he was healthy. But I like what you mentioned about taking the ball off the glass and just sprinting with it. And what I think a lot of teams in traditional basketball sense is the big would get it, rebounds it, gives it to the guard, they start the break. But if all five guys can start the break, your offense is going to go that much faster and you can punish transition defenses. So I'm with you. I think that Chet, I'm I'm very excited for him. And we got a small taste last night, but I'm I'm ready for more. Yeah, I I do think, you know, um, I've talked about this a lot in the however many hours it's been since the game. Um, I think everybody in the building pretty impressed with Chet Holmgren, except Mark Dagnalt, who was kind of like, whatever, got a long way to go. The kind of stuff you would expect him to say. I will say for people who are aware of that, Mark was almost more complimentary of him at practice today for the way he responded to the game than he was for the, you know, 21 points and nine rebounds and efficient shooting and good defense that we saw last night. Yeah, I I think that he's very hard on Chet in a good way. And Chet's somebody who responds to that well. So I think there are things like we talked to him, uh, Mark, before, and he said, we don't really have expectations for Chet. We're just trying to set a baseline. And him going out there and competing and not backing down was a great start. And like you mentioned, he was more complimentary about him after practice. But it's more than just the stats for Chet. It's a lot of the impact things of just him being an interior force on both ends. Yeah, I I thought it was pretty interesting um, when I asked uh, Mark after the game Monday night, did you see anything that maybe he's ahead of where you thought he would be? Anything that particularly stood out to you? And he said no. And the thing he said was, um, he's obviously talented, but we can't get blinded by a player's talent, which is like a real, that's just a real thunder thing to say. Yeah, yeah. You can't miss the forest for the trees. Process is not linear or progress is not linear. We, I could have a whole board behind me of just the different thunderisms between yeah. Presti and Mark. But I, I, I'm going to try to um, navigate and transcribe what he was saying. But yeah, you see these giant blocks, you see these big dunks, but what you don't want to miss in the process is the the little things. Like, is he setting good screens? Is he rolling the right way? Is he communicating right. on defense? And that's what's really big for him because as great as those flashes are, if you can't do the little things in between to support it, it, it doesn't matter all that much. Yeah, one of the things I really loved is his first basket actually was off a cut which, you know, very thunder. Um, the idea, I think, on Chet is you're going to have pick and rolls, you're going to have pick and pops, but he's also able to do a lot of things that the Thunder want players to do and that these guys did last year without him. He can cut to the basket. Um, he does have some off-ball skills that I think are, are notable. Uh, we're going to talk about some other guys with off-ball skills in a minute, too. I, I, I wanna, I'm trying to kind of mix it up here a little bit. We're talking about the game, and we're also kind of talking about the poll, but we're going to transition a little bit into the poll. So before we do that, I want to talk a little bit more about Monday night. Um, There's two things I really want to hit on, and one is less important. Let's get it out of the way. Cason Wallace gets a start. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Um, Really, Mark Dagnalt said 
after uh, practice the day after the game kind of saying um, felt like he gave them a little spark, felt like he looked better on tape even than he looked in the game. What did you take away from from that game, uh, that performance from from Kaysen? Kaysen was just doing the stuff that we saw him do at Kentucky in pre-draft where he just he's a basketball player. He just makes plays like he gets a steal out. Um, on one of my favorite plays, he gets a steal on like a poke around on a backdoor yeah. pass, throws it ahead to Giddy. Giddy throws it back to him. He head fakes it, goes good for great, swings it to Isaiah Joe for a wide open three. And Presty talks about this a lot, but it's no agenda basketball. And that's yeah. what Casey Wallace brings. I mean, he's going to start and he's going to come out there and play well, but he's by no means going out there. It's like, well, I'm starting. I need to score 20 points. He's just going to do even in a preseason game. How can I help you win? No, no agenda basketball. We're going to make a drinking game for the podcast where like any of these thunderisms, you know, take a shot for all these, you know, we never flinch shot. Oh, no yeah. Agenda basketball no. shot. Um, I love the idea of that. He was, I, I, I thought the one thing I took away beyond the, my favorite play he made was the play you mentioned, the backdoor cut that he kind of blows up. That's a really instinctive play. Um, he had a great feel there. He showed great feel. And, and the thing about him is if he wants to be an elite defender in the NBA and he projects as somebody with the possibility of that, you got to be good off the ball as well as on. We know he can hawk the ball. Um, but making that play uh, to break up a backdoor cut, I thought really telling, showed you a little something about uh, the way he's observing the whole game, not just the guy in front of him with the ball. It's really notable. But to me, and, and uh, there's a little bit of talk about this today, the thing I really noticed about him was when he came out for the starting lineup intros, Here's a rookie first preseason game, not a packed house, but a pretty loud house and good atmosphere in the building. And he was so happy. And the guys around him seemed really genuinely happy. Mark Dignall said before the game, he's the kind of guy, the way he's carried himself since he got here, you can start a rookie in place of your all NBA guard and nobody's going to bat an eye. And I thought it was telling one that he said that and two, the way those guys reacted to Casey Wallace. Yeah, he he got out of the starting lineup and they mobbed him. It looked like he was the last one yeah. announced in Shea's spot and they were just shoving him around lovingly. And like you mentioned, the way that his teammates talk about him, like J-Dub last night, I asked him about Kaysen stepping in and starting and he just said all types of just glowing, nice things. And let's just be fully transparent here. These guys are on a team, but there's also competing for spots. These guys want to start, but to see them that excited for a rookie at 19 who's coming in, to get this opportunity, I thought was extremely cool. And it says a lot about Case and just his character as a person that he's got this much buy-in from his teammates. Yeah, I think uh, it was Kendrick Williams, I believe, on Media Day, who said he kind of carries himself like a 10-year vet. He just is like a guy who's been around. Uh, I got a story coming this week about uh, some of the Kentucky guards who've sort of outkicked their, their coverage, outperformed their draft positions a little bit, whether he might be next and exploring some of the reasons. And, and I think one of those reasons is those guys do learn a very pro atmosphere in college. It's, there are a lot of guys who are going to be in the NBA someday uh, around them. John Calipari runs a program that's pretty professional in terms of its approach. Um, you know, not as successful on the court lately as he would like, but they still do a lot of the same things that NBA teams do. I think that was notable. Um, before we move on and, and, and focus more on the poll, the other thing that was important uh, Monday, and I, I said after the game, I wrote this, that this is the most, it's one of the rarest of occasions. It's a, it's a preseason NBA game that we may not forget. We might remember this one down the road. And if we do, the reason we'll remember it is not because of Jack White's block in the final minutes that, you know, saved the game or whatever. Um, we're going to remember that it's the first you know, Chet Holmgren and Victor Wembanyama game. And I, I mentioned Sam Vecini from The Athletic a little bit ago. Um, 
and a guy who I talked to leading up to that game. And, and one of the things Sam told me, look, I've covered a lot of basketball in my life and I've covered, you know, Russell Westbrook and Paul George and LeBron James and Anthony Davis on a daily basis. And one of the things that Sam told me was this guy's different. And, and it sounds crazy to say because of how much good basketball you've seen, but like, you're going to see something he does where you just, you can't believe that a guy his size does it and not like, Oh, that was amazing. And that was really cool. And, and what a, what a great thing to see, but like literally you almost can't believe it. And I don't think I bought that Michael. And then I was at the game and lo and behold, it happened at least twice, maybe three times. Yeah. He just, some of his like physical attributes are just incomprehensible and just he, the up and under was the one that stood out to me the most. And I'm, I'm saying, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I had high expectations. Like you mentioned, you've been to a lot more big games than me. And I even came out of the arena thinking I was like, this feels like a big moment in basketball. I don't know if I have enough context to really say that, but hearing you sort of agree with that sentiment makes me feel better. But just especially whenever he hits a sidesteps three in a six eleven guy's face in Usman Jang and he goes coast to coast. It's just, it looks, and people have made this analogy, like a 2K creative player that you just stretched out from a 6'4 guard to 7'5". Yeah. yeah. Your closeouts do not bother him because it's it's like almost impossible. You know, like Lou Dort ran at him and, I mean, what is that? Lou Dort is 6'4"? You know, like that's, what what is that to him? What is like that shooting over a chair. Right. These, those things are meaningless to him. Um, the up, the, the kind of that lefty scoop around Chet is the one that to me, I think is going to stick with me the most, but the block on, on J-Dub was also just outrageous. That's a shot that just creates, it's a move that just creates space against maybe legitimately every other big guy in the NBA. I'm not sure another guy could block it. I don't think Giannis could get to it. Maybe Anthony Davis five years ago could get to it. Um, I don't know if there's a guy in the league right now. Maybe Chet. I don't know. I'm not even sure Chet could do it. Um, he might be the only guy in the league who could block that shot. Yeah, I feel like playing Victor Wembanyama, there's going to be certain like limitations of, hey, tonight that's off limit, guys. We we can't do that. That guy's going to erase it. I know you can do that 99 times out of 100 against every other team, but this guy is a little bit different, and he has these go-go gadget arms where they just continually grow and get longer where you feel like you got past him because – Jada, like you mentioned, he about turned that corner and dunked it, but Victor just stretches and elongates his arm and just knocks it out of there. With almost, I mean, it's very little effort. It's crazy. Um, you know, I don't want to look back too much and we don't want to dwell too much again on a preseason game, but outrageously fun. I think Vic said after the game, it felt like kind of the start of something. And Chet basically said, I agree. He was very cautious about saying too much about how great Vic was. Basically he was saying, you know, we both plan to be good in this league for a long time. And so by the nature of that, or we both plan to play in this league for a long time. And so by the nature of that, we're going to have a lot of games against each other. And, and um, you know, I don't think either guy was really painting it as like, Oh, here come the Western conference finals every year. Um, but if it turns into the thing that it could turn into, that's going to be really cool to say you were there when you were there at the beginning. Um, so Michael, let's, let's focus more on the poll. Um, I, I do want we've talked a little bit about kind of where, the Thunder are. We might get into that a little bit more. Thunder is. That's going to take mm -hmm. us to get used to. Um, but there are a couple of ca categories in the poll I thought were interesting. Um, one, GMs picked the Thunder 10th in the West. Um, that's not that surprising. You know, the West is is loaded. Um, it's going to be stacked and it's going to be, a, a you know, there's going to be a lot of the fighting down at the bottom to get into those playing spots and try to get into the top six spots. But also, the Thunder were the number one choice as the team that will be the most improved. 
So wrap your head around those two things. Picked 10th, but going to improve more than anybody else. I guess the thinking would be that they get better, but it doesn't necessarily equate to wins because we've seen years like this in the West where it's just so stacked. And I think all the teams except for two with Portland and San Antonio are expecting to make the postseason or would like to or have that ambition. So for the Thunder, I think that they'll be better. It might not equate to 45 wins, but just if you look at this team with um, just a video last season to this season, like midway through, I think you're going to see a massive difference in just the level of play. But it is a little bit confounding of just how do you become the most improved team and then you move up maybe one spot in the play-in or something like that. Yeah, so here's a little context on that. Here, here might be part of the answer to that. In the category of which team's success is most difficult to predict, they did finish tied for second. So the Sixers, for really glaringly obvious mm-hmm. reasons, were the first choice at 30%. Nobody even knows who's going to be on the team. Uh, and then the Mavericks and Thunder tied for second at 13% of the vote. And so I think that's part of the thing is that um, you can say, well, I think they're going to be better. But you can say, I don't know exactly where that's going to land them in the standings. And you can also say they are so young that, like, how do you figure it out? Because there's different reasons why everybody's unpredictable. The Sixers, as we said, obviously, who, who knows? The Mavericks, also pretty obvious why they might be un, uh, a difficult team to predict. Because that's going to be a team where most likely there's, you know, if history is any indicator, probably going to be some drama on that roster. That tends to happen where Kyrie Irving goes. Below them a little bit, you get New Orleans and Phoenix. Those are teams where health is going to be the variable, I think, that makes them hard to figure out. But with the Thunder, it's obviously the youth. You, you can't know, as talented as these guys are, what happens when you get them in, into the mix when they're playing for games that matter, when they're playing in minutes that are significant and, and down the stretch in a close game. How are those guys going to respond? Yeah, to play devil's advocate, because I'm, I'm big on the Thunder. I think that they're going to be pretty good this year. I think they're going to win around 43, 44 games. But... On the other side, if you are someone who's just not really sure how good they're going to be, you can point to things of like, was this a one-year wonder for Shea? Is this something right. he can repeat? Chet, we haven't seen him play a game in the NBA. Can he play 65 games? Is there a rookie wall for J-Dub? Is Isaiah Joe's shooting year an outlier? Does Josh Giddy's shooting get any better? And things like that. Uh, Mark Dagnall, people are now ready for a lot of his schemes. So I don't think it's crazy to like have these, I guess, questions about the team and be a little bit up and down of like, I'm not exactly sure where they're going to be. But like you mentioned, it's more just so how do these guys develop and where are they? Whereas with the Mavericks and the 76ers, there's a lot of just off the court issues. Yeah, they're going to be an interesting team for all those reasons that you said, because there are those questions. They are fair questions, you know, like. I don't think you can have a year like Shea had last year mm-hmm. um, without being an elite NBA player. Like, I think he's arrived and like we're at practices. Um, I'm not at practice. We are at practices. We're not watching them practice, but we're watching them put in work after practice. And I'm going to tell you, uh, the guy is not comfortable with where he is because the amount of work he's putting in on step back three pointers right now indicates to me it's something he wants to be uh, not only better at, but like able to deploy a little bit more. So, um, I can understand that line of thinking. I think it's a great devil's advocate point. Um, I suspect he's going to be very good, whether he averages the same number of points. Maybe not. might be better for them if he doesn't. Um, But yeah, I think the guy's going to have a great year. But I understand that argument. I understand all the arguments about, you know, whether some guys are, um, you know, is is J-Dub, is he a little closer to his ceiling than some other rookies were because he came in after a little bit longer time in college? That kind of stuff. I understand those questions. I think the Thunder 
they'll certainly have a great opportunity to answer those questions. We'll see what happens. Um, that's the most important team stuff, I think, in the poll, the kind of the young core stuff, the somewhat predictive stuff and where they are. Um, and there are a few individual things in it I wanted to touch on as well. Uh, so, Michael, if you had had to guess going in and you were told, hey, the GMs are going to vote for the best point guard in the NBA, where do you think you would have had Shea in that conversation if you'd had him there at all? Because it depends on whether you consider him a point guard. That's what I was going to get to. It's just so tough because you have guys like Shea, Luca, where it's like they're just kind of in their own position. They don't yep. really fit either side. They can play both, but they also play neither in a way. So I would probably, off the top of my head, I'd probably have him third or fourth because they're just, right. it feels like we're in the golden age of point guards in this generation and the last one. But uh, I think Shea is going up and up and up on a rocket um, and he's going to be one of the elite guards in the NBA for a very long time. He was third um, and a distant third. Basically, two guys dominated the vote in mm -hmm. the point guard category. That's Stephen Curry got 63% of the vote. Luka Doncic gets 27% of the GM vote. So Shea at 7%, you know, it's a pretty big drop off. Basically, two guys were really only one guy was in contention. Um, still pretty notable because Damian Lillard comes in fourth. So you're one spot ahead of Damian Lillard at a, at a position that, as you say, Dame Israel clearly a point guard. That's who he yeah. is. Um, Shea... We'll see. He also gets votes in the shooting guard category. And so that's kind of an interesting thing about him is that he fin he finishes tied for third with Anthony Edwards for best shooting guard in the league. Yeah, it's been a weird transition. And obviously you've followed the NBA longer than me where combo guard used to be almost a dirty word, but now yeah. it's almost essential that you have to be a combo guard where you can play both. It's very true. It's very, very different. I think it used to be much more your, your traditional... Like nobody really is a Chris Paul type. There's Chris Paul. Yeah. But Chris Paul is the mold of like the classic point guard. He is the evolutionary guy who's, you know, he descends from John Stockton and to an extent Steve Nash. Like he's the wizard. He's the technical guy, um, you know, so smart. And there's a lot of guys like that, but they don't necessarily play that position anymore. Um, I think one thing is the league has downsized. That's a big part of it. So you don't have, there's no Shaq anymore, you know, um, even Nikola Jokic, who's giant, doesn't play that way. He's initiating offense a lot. Playmaking is so much more important. And so if you have one guy making the bulk of your plays and the guys who, one guy who's initiating the bulk of your offense, you're not going to be very good. This is not the way things are. And also, if the guy who's doing that is 6'1 or 6'2 or 6'3, you're going to struggle. You need many guys who can make plays. The Thunder that's a team that's been built exactly that way. It's a team that is, feels very modern in the sense, not only do they have a lot of playmakers, they have very quick processing playmakers. It's a really important piece of the way the Thunder evaluate players is to say, you know, um, where, how are you in space? How comfortable are you in that space? How good are you at spacing the floor? But also when the ball comes your way and it touches your hands, how quickly can you make the decision? I have a shot. I have a drive. Or I have neither and the ball needs to get out of my hands and go to somebody else because another guy can make a play. Chris Paul pounds the ball into the floor. That's the way he's played for a long time. That just doesn't exist anymore. The ball needs to move more. Um, it's why we've seen some guys, Russell Westbrook has not been the same player he was four or five years ago, not only because he's aged a little bit, but the game has changed so much around him. So yeah, I, I think it's notable. You know, I, is Luca a point guard? He is. 
but also he got shooting guard votes. And so you're right that it used to be if you called somebody a combo guard, it meant, well, they don't really have the point guard skills that we'd like them to have, or, you know, they're not really great shooters, but they can handle the ball okay. Now it's it's sort of molded into we're almost to the point really of that of positionless basketball. Victor Wimanyama, if you're watching him on Monday, is essentially like a wing. Um, you know, he's really playing like a small forward in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, it is interesting. I, I wonder someday if this will just sort of phase out of this GM poll because it is kind of odd. Now, that said, Devin Booker wins the shooting guard uh, category at 63%, and he's sort of a classic shooting guard. But then again, like who's going to run the point for them this year? It might be Devin Booker. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of Booker. It's going to be a lot of Durant. And I, I like the point you're making about positionless basketball. To me, it feels like we're moving away from positions and more of just roles because the things you need, you need a shot blocker, you need an initiator, you need somebody to facilitate. Like Josh is the facilitator for the Thunder, but he's not playing point guard. So I think right. it's very interesting where we're going forward in the game. Like you mentioned, most of these teams now, it is more egalitarian. Let's spread the love. Let's get it out there. I mean, Steph's the best point guard in the NBA, and he's not averaging. He's never averaged 10 assists, which seems right. kind of crazy for that. That or you have on the other side of things like the James Harden, Trey Young model of everything runs through me. Right. Right. And I space the floor by myself mm -hmm. because I can initiate offense from 30 feet and I can also shoot it from 30 or 35 or 40 or whatever. All right, Michael, we're going to do some quick hits here before we go. Um, the GMs say Victor Wimanyama, 50% of the voters say Victor Wimanyama is going to win rookie of the year. Chet Holmgren third at 20%. Why are they wrong or right? Um, I'm going to say they're right. Rookie of the year in just the history of this award is usually guy who puts up a lot of stats on a bad team. I mean, you had Scotty Barnes a few years ago who kind of broke that mold as a guy on a playoff team who contributed immediately and like helped them. And that's probably the model for Chet if he wins it. But throughout history, it's mostly been the guy who averages 22 points, eight rebounds, four assists on decent efficiency on a team that really needs him to put up numbers. Yeah, I think if Chet gets the minutes, he's got a really good chance. I'm yeah. not going to count him out, even as the third choice. I think in the odds, he's either second or third. I will say, Scoot Henderson in there at second, bad bet if Dame Lillard is on the team. Now, pretty good bet. That's a guy who's got a chance to put up some really big numbers and might theoretically be a little bit more durable and play a little bit more than either of these two big guys. Um, the GMs, Michael, say the best perimeter defender in the NBA is Drew Holiday. He gets 50% of the vote. Don't know when guys voted. Might have been fresh on their minds as they did this poll. Um, but Lou Dort, in the others receiving votes, right, in perimeter defender, others receiving votes, should he have been higher? Um, I'll, I'll have to pull up the list. I, there are just so many great perimeter defenders right now yep. because you have your guys like a Drew Holiday. You have your Marcus Smarts. You have your Mikhail Bridges. And I think that's probably about where Lou should be is like close around hovering the top five, because like you mentioned earlier, uh, it's about defending off the ball as well. And I think that's something that he still can work on, but Lou is definitely a lot to handle on the perimeter. And I would definitely have no issues with him in the top five. Yeah. It's hard to argue that he, you know, like I know some people would want to push Alex Caruso out. He finished third. Caruso is a great perimeter defender. Uh, Kawhi Leonard was only fifth. So that tells you how stacked, the NBA is with elite perimeter defenders. Um, one more thing before we go. The, the team in the league with the best home court advantage, and boy, Michael, this was telling, eight spots 
Plus, uh, yeah, just eight spots. No honorable mentions in that one. So eight teams get votes. No votes for your Oklahoma City Thunder. How soon they forget. I mean, uh, it is a challenge to the Thunder fans to get back out there, but this is just kind of how the NBA can sway and go because as much as like I can look at the list and the Warriors are pretty high, we're old enough to remember whenever they played in Golden State, and it wasn't always like that when the team wasn't as good. So it's going to kind of go up and down with team success, but I have no doubt in my mind that the Thunder fans are going to come back, and I'm going to issue a challenge. But when we get playoff basketball back in Oklahoma City, which is hopefully sooner rather than later, I think that it might not be at the same level as those initial teams, but it's going to get to the traditional uh, loud and rowdiness that we expect from Thunder fans. Real telling here for Thunder fans, are you an elite fan base or are you the kind of fan base that just kind of, you know, if the team's really good, we're going to show up. Um, It's going to be a fun year to find out. Michael, thanks for being here. Um, For all of you listening, uh, please remember if this is your first time hearing or watching the show to subscribe on YouTube and on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. We'll be back next week. Got a pretty fun guest, hopefully lined up if everything works out. Uh, Thunder will play a couple more games by then. We'll talk about the Montreal game a little bit, but we'll look at some bigger picture stuff, some offensive fit stuff. Going to be fun. We'll see you next week. Yo!